Good morning. So today's lesson is, is for all of our kiddos who have gone back to school, so I kind of want to start by polling the audience, and I just want to see a show of hands. If you are a young person who has either started school in the last week or two, or who is about to start school, raise your hands up high. I want to see where you all are, okay? I want to see where you all are. You're not, you're not going back to school, Chris. You're not fooling anyone. Not fooling anyone. Okay. Today, today's lesson is for you, and I know that some of you who are younger would probably rather color, and that's okay. I have a lot of words, and my kids remind me of that often, but for those of you who are old enough to hang with me for 30 minutes, I have some things to say to you, and I want to start with this. I want to start by revealing a little secret to you all, um, a secret that all of the grown-ups maybe have been keeping from you for some time, and here's my secret. We are not that different from you, all of us grown-ups. Um, now, we, we pretend like it sometimes because we feel a big responsibility for all of y'all. And there are some things, some areas where we are pretty different. I mean, we are a lot smarter than you, so don't forget that. But, but that's just because we've been around the block, and so we've had a lot more time to, to learn. I've kind of worried. I can say this in late service because Braxton came to early service, but he's catching up with me way too fast. And so, uh, but we, we have a little more self-control. Um, we definitely have some life experience and some wisdom that some of you little ones don't have. But, you know, like really under the surface, the things that all of you kiddos wrestle with and worry about are kind of things that us grown-ups wrestle with and worry about too. I mean, we all want to be liked and we want to feel valuable and we want to have a place where we belong. When things are difficult, us grown-ups get angry and grumpy and tired, just like you. There are days when the things that we have to do feel a little bit scary. There's days when the things that we get to do are like really excited and it's exciting and, and we're pumped up about it. There are certain activities and, and things that we do during our days that just feel really easy and we have a lot of fun doing them. And then there's other things that we have to do each day that are really difficult and we don't like doing them much you know I think one thing that we probably all share in common is, is this deep down inside sometimes it feels like we're kind of tricking everyone a little bit because we kind of know that we're a little less awesome on the inside than everyone on the outside thinks that we are and that and that bothers us. So, so kids, today this lesson is for you, but I think that you're going to notice that the adults around you are paying extra close attention, because just because we've grown up doesn't mean we don't wrestle with these big questions. In fact, we're asking the same questions that you are. How should we live? How do we deal with all of the stuff around us, and what are the things that really matter? So as we kind of go into this season of transition and school is spooling back up again, I want to talk about several things that maybe will kind of help us get our minds right as we're kind of booting everything up and pressing go again. Really four things. We're going to talk first about the importance of learning to think. We're going to talk about the importance of other people. We're going to talk about the, the pitfalls of comparing ourselves with others. And we're going to talk about the hope of the gospel. So that's going to be our lesson today, and I want to start with the very first one, the importance of learning to think. 
You know, one of the most valuable skills that you're going to develop as a human, whether you are interacting in the world around us, maybe with a job or with certain activities, or whether you are here and, and interacting in the, in the spiritual realm, is going to be this gift from God that he has given us the ability to think. Now, I remember back when I was in school, there were particular classes that I didn't much care for. English class. You know what? I mean, I I thought to myself, how in the world am I ever going to use any of this English garbage that they're trying to teach me? I'm going to be a scientist, and I'm going to build cool things, and I need to know math and and science, but all of this word stuff isn't anything that I'm going to ever have to deal with. Now I spend all of my day reading and writing, so I guess I maybe should have paid a little closer attention in my English classes. And y'all know what? I hadn't used the law of cosines one time this last week. So, I mean, sometimes you have to swallow your pride a little bit and admit you're wrong. But, but here's the bottom line. There are a lot of things that we have to learn in the course of our education that don't seem like they have direct application. This is why uh, some of you kids sitting back there are pursuing a college degree, and the truth is a lot of the things that you're learning right now, you're not going to use in real life. But, but what you are developing is the ability to think the ability to persevere, the ability to press forward and learn and communicate and use that brain that's between your ears. You know, we often see our spiritual lives as if they're delegated to the realm of feelings. In other words, when we come to church, we think this is kind of about how we feel and not necessarily about using our brains and thinking the same way that we might do at school every day, all you kiddos. But I don't think that that's the way we should look at things at all. I actually think that, um, that learning to think is one of the most tremendous skills you can have. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You know, we talk a lot about faith. That's a word that we use a lot here in this church context. Uh, a lot of you kiddos have heard us use it a lot. I think a lot of times we, uh, we mistake faith for something else. We think about faith as... Uh, maybe tricking ourselves into believing something that we don't have evidence for. We think of faith as just maybe accepting something for what it is, even though we can't really ever prove it. And maybe under the surface, there's a few connection points there, but, but read closely what the text says. Hebrews 11.1, 1. Now faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You know, a lot of times I think I read that verse and I, I, in my head, kind of get the order wrong. I think, now faith is hoping for the things that are assured. In other words, I feel like faith is a little bit of wishful thinking, hoping something's going to be a certain way and just really sticking to it. But that's actually not what the text says at all. The text tells us it's being sure of the things that we hope for. It's knowing that the things that we are talking about here are right. It's the conviction of things not seen. It's being convicted that even though there are things that we can't see, we can know that they are true. And how do we do that? Because God has given us brains with which we can think. And when we use our brains and we exercise that gift of thinking, then we can come away with a conviction of things that aren't directly accessible. In other words, God has given you the gift to be able to consider the evidence and put together the pieces and come away with with a firm belief in what is and what isn't. Later on in Hebrews 11, 6, we read, And without faith it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We can, we can believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seeks him when we stop and think and examine the evidence. My, my main point is this. Thinking is fundamental to faith. And so learning this skill is of utmost importance. In Luke 10.36, we see that Jesus expected critical thinking. He was interacting with this lawyer fellow. He was trying to trick him, and he told him a, a parable about the Good Samaritan. A lot of you kids would remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. And when we get to the end, he asked him a question. He said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? You see, Jesus expected this person who he was interacting with, to reason and to think. In Colossians 3.2, we see that we're to demonstrate control of our mind and thoughts. He says, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are of this earth. In Romans 7.23, we're told that there's times when we will actually engage in spiritual warfare with our minds. The way that we think is, is, like, a, is like a war that's raging in our heads. He says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. In other words, there's a battlefield going on in our heads. So as Christians, we are expected to engage in that battle and to think, kids... Some of this is learned in school. Not all of it. Not all of it. But sometimes I think Christians act like they're scared of, of science. We shouldn't be. We should learn science. We should learn to read and write and communicate and to look at the world and see all of the awesome things around us. These are the fundamental tools that help us grow and think. But we also need to learn to discern. And to see and notice when something people are telling us is wrong or the pieces of evidence don't add up. We should learn the skill of being skeptical when someone draws a conclusion that isn't warranted. In other words, when someone says something and it doesn't seem like the pieces are pointing in that direction, we should be able to ask questions. Adults, I think sometimes we're not very good thinkers. I think sometimes we have a work to do in this arena. But it's never too late to learn. And this is an aside, the whole, I could do a whole series on this, but the most important book that you will ever read and the most important book that you will ever think about is the Bible. So kids, I hope that first of all, you are taking this opportunity in school to learn to think because it's valuable in everything that you do. But you know, I also have to recognize that there's another important element of your daily activities that's more than just academics in school. I want to talk a little bit about the importance of seeing and, and giving to others. You know, it's not all about you, and your parents probably tell you that often. I feel like sometimes we say that at our house more often than not. Because the sooner you understand that it's not all about you, the better off that you're going to be. But, you know, it's really easy to feel like the world revolves around you. And I ask myself why, and here's why I think it is. Because you spend so much time with yourself. I mean, think about it. You are the only person that you can't get away from. So you can get upset with your parents, and you can go to your room and shut the door, and you might get in trouble for that, but you could escape for just a little bit. Um, you, can, you can take a break from people. You get the weekends off, so you even get a break from your teachers at school. We can take breaks from everyone except for ourselves. You're the only person you can't get away from. You eat lunch with yourself, 
and you sit with yourself at school, and even if you get in trouble, your teacher can't make you sit with someone else. You're going to sit with yourself. And guess who's always on your team when you play soccer on the playground? You are. That's right. And so all of this uh, time that we spend with ourselves can get our minds skewed a little bit and cause us not to see others the way that we should. You know, it's kind of a big deal in Scripture. God spends a lot of time trying to teach us that we need to look at others more than we look at ourselves. And not only do we need to look at others, we need to look at Him. You know, a huge element of school is the social aspect. And I think that's where we struggle the most. We worry about fitting in and finding our place and having our people, and we worry about being successful, and we want people to respect us and think well of us. And we're really afraid that maybe if we don't get things right, people are going to look at us and they're going to think that maybe we're not that great. And those are real difficult thoughts that we wrestle with. But if I look at all of those thoughts, I see that they're all concerned about a particular person. And who are they concerned about? Me. We think so much about ourselves. But when we look in Scripture, we see that Jesus, who's supposed to be our greatest example, actually operated a little bit differently in the world. Look at Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Look at the way that Jesus saw and thought about others. He says, Paul writes this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see Jesus, who is our biggest example in all of Scripture, counted others as more significant than himself. He said, these people around me are more important than the things that I want and the places that I want to go. He looked out for their interest over his own. He let go of himself, even though he was God. He let go of himself, and he served those around him. You know, it can be easy to be a taker and not a giver, but as people who are Christians, who are part of this family, we are people who have to learn to give. That's what we're about we give in ways that are gentle and bold, and we give with love and grace, and we forgive, and we are kind to those around us. I want to ask all of our kiddos a question. When you go to school uh, this next week, who are you going to be friends with? Who are you going to help? And who are you going to look to to help you? You know, we should always have someone older than us who is a mentor, someone who we can look up to. I think you'll find that a lot of good mentors are sitting in this room right now, and I hope you'll take advantage of it. But if you are old enough to still be listening to me at this point in the sermon, then I think you're old enough to have find a younger person than you so that you can start the process of helping them learn how to be and how to act. You know, it's actually how God has chosen to set up his whole family from the beginning of time. He's always used older people with more experience to pass on wisdom to those who are younger. 
and he's always connected those with the next generation. That's how it's designed, and, and we work better when we operate this way. So as we look through the Bible, we see Jethro mentored Moses, and Moses mentored Joshua and the elders of Israel, and then Joshua mentored the other remaining leaders in his army. Eli mentored Samuel, and Samuel mentored Saul and David, and Ahithophel and Nathan the prophet also mentored David. David became, what, one of Israel's greatest kings? He mentored his army commanders and the government officials, and they established the nation of Israel. He mentored Solomon, and then Solomon mentored the queen of Sheba, who returned her people to, um, to God um, using wisdom in the form of Proverbs. Okay. Elijah mentored Elisha, Daniel mentored Nebuchadnezzar, Mordecai mentored Esther, and Esther mentored King Artaxerxes, Priscilla and Aquila mentored Apollos. We even look at Jesus, and he had the 12 apostles that he mentored. There was even times when he had a smaller group, the inner three, that he worked so closely with. We see Paul. Paul mentored Titus, Timothy, and many others. And Timothy passed the faith on, faith on to faithful men, including Epaphras and, and, and others. And we see this, this chain reaction that happened throughout Scripture where those who were older and who had seen things engaged with those who were younger. And I think that's how we're supposed to set ourselves up too. We all need someone to look up to. And we all need someone to help. And so I wonder who that person will be for you this year. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul commands Timothy this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Just because you are young doesn't mean that you don't have tremendous influence in the example that you have. Kids, if you're old enough to listen to me speak, you're old enough to find a younger child at church to be friends with. To our teenagers, I want to ask you to really examine where you're at. Who is looking up to you at school? Who is watching you? Are they led to live more like Christ because of what they see in you? To our young adults, I think I might could ask the same question, whether you're in a career or at college. Who are those that you're interacting with, and what are they seeing? In what ways are you mentoring those around you? To all of our adults, and even those who are retired and on the other side of their career, all of you, I would ask the same question. Who are you mentoring? What are people seeing in you? Because it's easy to look inward, but looking outward is what we're designed to do. <clears throat> I want to get to the next point, which is the pitfall of comparing ourselves with others. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons that we struggle with this, one of the biggest reasons that we struggle with this mentoring arrangement is that we, uh, is that we inherently view ourselves through a competitive lens instead of a cooperative one. In other words, we, uh, instead of acting like we are on the same team with everyone, we're part of a, a system that makes us feel like we're playing against all of the other people around us. So, kids, you know what I'm talking about here. Um, sometimes when you're on the playground and you're playing against others, uh, it's easy to get pretty competitive, and you want to be in a situation where you win. Um, I think a lot of times we feel like this in life. So we spend most of our times day-to-day -day comparing ourselves to others. So those of you who are old enough to have social media, you know that that makes the problem worse. You look at those around you, and you, uh, you look at those around you, and you, you see this curated version of their life, and you look at their success, 
And, and it's easy to look at them and to think, man, I'm not nearly as awesome as some of these people that I see around me. Okay? I'm not nearly as awesome as, as some of these things that I see happening around. And you think, maybe I'm not the best person to be a mentor or a friend to some of these others. Now, we're also in danger of slipping the other direction. We can read the news and read about the failure of others and the times when those get plastered around us, and we can be swelled up a little bit with pride and think, hey, I'm pretty awesome compared to this person. The truth is there's a danger on each side of the ditch. We can fall off both directions. We're at risk of looking at others and seeing our sin and seeing our failure and and feeling unworthy, but we're also at risk of developing a heightened sense of pride. When we, uh, when we look at others and see our failures and feel unworthy, it can put us in a pretty dark spot. You know, this can happen to all of us. You know, even ministers, when they get up each week to preach, it can be a real struggle because I can get on the Internet and find some really good speakers. And I can listen to the things that they say and think, wow, that guy's got some wonderful thoughts. And secretly on the inside, it's easy to feel a little inadequate and think, well, I can't do that. I mean, I can't share at that level. All the other adults, I think it happens every day in your everyday lives. When someone engaging and vibrant and new shows up at work and everyone is drawn to them and their work is excellent, it's easy to secretly think, you don't say it out loud, but you secretly think, man, I'm never going to get a promotion. I can't hang with that person. I can never be what they are. Kids, I think it happens to you also at school. You're sitting there and you realize that your best friend made a better grade or, or maybe you're older and some of your friends are starting to date but you're having a hard time getting dates. Maybe someone consistently gets a higher chair in band or starts on the starting team when you're on the bench or a friend gets a scholarship when you don't. This happens when you miss an easy question in front of the class because you panic. I mean, you knew the answer, but, but you couldn't quite pull it out. Or, or maybe you don't have the same number of AR reading points and you feel inadequate. Or you get chosen last on the soccer field at recess. Or maybe you wear something to school and one of the other kids makes fun of it. And then you spend the rest of the day worrying about it. We start looking at others, all of us. We start looking at others and we compare ourselves and it's easy to feel like we aren't that special. Now we're going to talk in just a little bit about that. The bottom line is this, as Christians we use a different measuring stick. In Ephesians 4.13 we had looked at this a couple of weeks ago but it tells us that Christ is our measuring stick and he measures differently. He measures in units of unity and knowledge of Christ and units of love. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ is what we are to attain according to Ephesians 4.13. So so Christ is our measuring stick. And And when we measure ourselves to him, we get a true measure. You know, another way that we can fall off, of the, uh, um, fall off and, and, and get ourselves in trouble is when we look at others and we're filled with a spirit of competition or conceit and pride. This happens when you're the one that's maybe sitting in first chair or you're the one that got chosen first on the soccer field or you're the one that got the scholarship or is dating the person or has all of the things. And, and in that situation, you become conceited and, and swelled up with pride. Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Matthew 20, 16 says this, So the last will be first and the first will be last. James 4, 6 says this, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace 
to the humble. I think both of these errors of thinking are easily fanned to flame in the school environment where there's grades and chairs and starting positions and awards and we're dealing with all of the social dynamics of being in and out of certain friend groups. And if you are doing really well, it's easy to think you're more awesome than you are. And if you feel like you're struggling and you're underperforming, it's easy to lose your confidence. Well, we need to learn to land in a more balanced spot. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12.3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Romans 12.16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 2 Corinthians 10.17 says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we know that there is a a better, more balanced way to approach things, and that leads us to our final point this morning, and that's where this balanced spot is. You see, there is a place where the garbage of humanity is cleaned up and restored, and the place where the prideful are humbled and brought low, and we see both of those things happening in the gospel. The gospel is a word many of you young people have heard about. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the thing that we come together each Sunday to talk about. It's the good news, the thing that all of us get excited about. And it is the stable foundation where our hope is placed. You know, when I was at ACU, there was this guy who uh, rode around campus on a unicycle. I thought he was pretty cool. Um, He was kind of (laughs) crazy. But, uh... He, he went everywhere on a unicycle, and it was a cool unicycle. I think he had a several. One of them had a, like a mountain bike tire on it, and he could jump up and down steps and go off-road. It was pretty cool. Can anyone in here drive a unicycle? Uh, see, y'all, last early service, there was like two people who finally raised their hands. I think y'all are holding out on me. Either that or I, I'm going to say this. I looked at that guy and thought, that's pretty cool. I think I need to be a unicycle guy. And so I bought me one on eBay. And I just about broke myself trying to figure out how to ride that thing. And finally, I think I threw it in the dumpster and gave up. I was a little bit embarrassed. Um, Unicycling was definitely not for me. That's a really unstable way to travel. You get up on that thing and, you know, here you are. And I mean, he made it look easy. But but even, even with this skilled guy, that is an unstable way to travel. He was paying attention to everything that he was doing. And I was thinking, what would be the polar opposite of a unicycle? I think a cruise ship would be. I mean, a cruise ship is like a hotel and a, and a shopping mall combined together, and then you go to sleep, and the next morning you wake up in a different town. It's like they, it's like they move the town with you. And you still feel some of the winds and the waves. You can tell that it's moving. But there's a different sort of stability in that situation. You know, I look at our lives, and I think far too often we live in ways that I would compare to trying to ride a unicycle across the ocean when we have a cruise ship sitting right here. In other words, we live these lives where we're just constantly trying to balance the expectations of others and to gain something for ourselves that that makes us feel okay. But over here 
in, in this arena, and I think that's the gospel, the good news that we have, this, this idea that we can share with the world that it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to live on edge. You don't have to live in a way that you always feel like you're about to fall over. There's stability in this place, in the gospel. You just have to put your hope in the right things. You see, if you spend your days at school trying to make a name for yourself, you're probably eventually going to fall. And you're going to be disappointed. But if you can learn to trust in God and the things that are stable, you'll find that that's a better way to travel through life. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3, 3 through 11. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. In other words, I'm going to pause for just a second. In other words, Paul was saying, I was super awesome. Okay? I had everything. I was the one that all of the cool kids wanted to play with. I, had, I got straight A's. I was the most awesome student. I was the star, uh, the star quarterback on the football team. I was everything that everyone could want. Back to verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. The only place to put our hope is in Christ. And I think that's what Paul was saying. He's saying, I can have all of these things and be all of these things and look this certain way, but all of that is really rubbish because I've come to learn that there's only a very small set of things that matters. There is no saving grace in good grades or good performance or stellar social status. There is no lasting meaning in anything of this world. Every single person here has fallen short. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of the God. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that will save us. So you can get an A on a test, but it won't do you any good for eternity. And you can get benched on the basketball team. And you know what? That doesn't matter in eternity either. You can be the most successful student that ever walked the halls of your school and graduate with honors and make something of your life and become the most revered alumni of your school, but none of that would ultimately matter without the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that matters. So for our younger students who are still hanging with me, I'm almost done, I think you need to take this away from this lesson. No matter what, God loves you, and he loves the people around you. And you need to learn to love yourself and those around you in the same way that he does. So you should work hard at school and learn to think and take care of other people. And not be too concerned about being the best because that doesn't really matter. God loves you no matter what. For our older students, 
That means it's time to maybe start thinking about your eternal soul and your relationship with Christ and doing what it takes to shift your confidence from yourself to Him. You may be tempted this school year to make a name for yourself, to be the best and to win at everything, and really what you need to do is learn to think, learn to love others, and have the wisdom to put your confidence, your hope, and your self-worth in Christ. Adults, ditto for you. It's the same thing at work and in all of your worldly interactions. The scenery may have changed, but the challenges haven't. I hope that we will be a people, whether we are young or old, that keep our focus in the right place. May we, at this time of changing routines, recommit ourselves to making the gospel message the central element of our identity, the place where we get our worth, the thing that drives us to love others and to live for him and him alone. So to our kids, we are so proud of you. And I hope that you will learn to see yourself the way that we see you, but more importantly, I hope that you see yourself the way God sees you. It's our prayer that you grow, that you grow in your ability to think and how you treat people, that you will mentor a younger human and find an older human to connect with, that you'll avoid the pitfalls of comparison that leave you empty, and that you'll find your value in God who made you special. And to our older children and adults, you are probably dealing with these same issues, but some of you are still desperately trying to find an answer where there is not one. If you're wondering why you keep coming up short, it's probably because you are grasping at the right things in the wrong places. You're grasping at shadows of the real. The gospel changes everything, and at the end of the race, it's all that matters. Jesus Christ died for your insufficiencies because he loves you. In him is a place of value and belonging and a place of hope And all of the things that our kids want are the same things that we want, and they're found in Christ alone. So if you believe in Christ and are ready to make a change, we stand prepared to baptize you, and I hope that you won't delay. If you've been wondering and aren't sure yet, we would love to study with you today. And if you've drifted and need restored, we would love to hold your hand through that process. Whatever the need might be, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.